is an executive leadership team member and executive vice president of the Ameriprise Independent Advisors. AIA represents 8,000 independent advisors and generates over $5 billion in annual revenue. Bill joined Ameriprise in 1989 as an advisor in the Boston area and was named to the President's Advisory Council, comprised on the top 1% of all advisors, in his first year at the firm. Bill went on to hold several field leadership positions with increasing responsibility, including district manager, field vice president, group vice president, senior vice president, before assuming his current position in 2009. Bill grew up in New England, and he currently lives in Edina, Minnesota, with his wife and family. Well, Bill, I want to say thank you for being here with me today. I know you are an incredibly busy human um, and leader and executive, and this is around the holiday week nonetheless, so the fact that you've taken time to be with us today is so greatly appreciated. Of course. Glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. So as we get started, there's so many different things I want to pick your brain on, but given your area of expertise, I have a few things I really want to hone in on during our conversation together and, okay. and to share with others. So they say your workplace and your colleagues become like your family, your second family. We might even argue your primary family sometimes. Um, and you and I share a little bit of a common ground um, in terms of in the 100 plus years that a company has been in existence, um, which is Ameriprise. Collaboratively, our families have been involved in the company for over 70 years. Yes. So I guess that makes us yeah. relatives. Yeah, I think, <laughs> so we, I think we are relatives. Yeah, yes. somewhere there. Yeah, yeah we, we've got a kindred familial lineage somewhere. Um, but what's really unique about that in today's world in the time of the great resignation is people are fleeing jobs and companies at a record pace and at record numbers. And here you are a leader who has stood steady and strong in the same company for 33 plus years. And I'm sure you've have, have had other invitations to do other things along the way. But instead of kind of going, I think the grass is going to be greener on the other side, which seems to be maybe somewhat of the mindset of the workforce today, You've stayed on the side where you know the grass is green and you're gonna, your job is like to really foster that and make it greener for you and everyone else. What have you found to be beneficial in staying with the same company for that amount of time instead of jumping and going into all of these different other opportunities that had to have erupted for you? My dad used to say that the, the grass is greenest where you water it. Ooh, and so I, you know, I, I think I put a lot into my work yeah. at the same time, the people around me are putting a lot into me and, and my work. And so, you know, when I think about the great resignation, you're right. I mean, the pandemic and working remote gave people an opportunity to work from anywhere. Mm -hmm. And then when unemployment went down, people kind of went to the highest bidder in some cases. Mm -hmm. So who's willing to pay me the most because I'm going to work from home anyway. And so what does it matter who I work with or what company I work for? Right. What we're also seeing on the other side of the pandemic is that people are also waking up to that fact. And some of the tech companies are doing some pretty massive layoffs. Mm -hmm. Some of the companies that did a lot of remote um, settings for their people and gave them lots of flexibility are expecting people to come back because they're losing a level of productivity. Okay. And, you know, we're, we're a company at Ameriprise that's, that's built on 130 years, as you mentioned, of sort of helping people with their finances, helping them set goals, 
plan their money and manage the worry um, of their finances a little bit better. When I think about why I've stayed for 35 years, it's the central core of the mission. I, I probably couldn't work for, and no offense to people who do this, to, for a tobacco company mm-hmm. uh, or for a sugar water company. I, I've got to believe in the mission of what I'm trying to do. And I actually believe that financial services, I wasn't doing this, I'd probably be in healthcare, sure. which is your world, yeah, right? Interesting. Is I, I want to do something of meaning with my time and my energy. Mm-hmm. And this company fulfills that. Now, you might say, there's tons of financial services companies. So the next question I ask myself is, do I trust and like the people around me? And I, and you talk about family. I do feel a real kindred connection Mm -hmm. to the people on my executive leadership team and my boss. Uh, They show up every day with a great attitude. They really care. Um, They've got big hearts, but they're very strategically challenging. And so they Mm -hmm. help me become a better person. And then the people around me on my direct team that I get to lead are just great human human beings from a lot of different backgrounds. And I mm-hmm. sort of love talking to them about how they look at the world. They bring new perspective to yeah. me. And one of the things I was always trying to figure out is how do I find people that are very different from me, that look at the world different, that yeah. have different backgrounds, that have uh, you know different orientations. And, and that's what makes my life have meaning is I'm surrounded by people that aren't just like Bill Williams. Mm-hmm. I'm around people that are really pretty cool in their own right. And I get to live with them at work for 50, 60 hours. I think that's neat. That is a beautiful answer because I think so often in leadership, we want to get siloed of like that like-mindedness, like creating a like-minded leadership team. But I love that you value the diversity and the wealth of perspectives that your team brings because that is inevitably what leads to really healthy teams, right? Like if everybody thought like Bill, it'd be really great in probably a lot of ways. Yeah, it feels really easy in the <laughs> right, moment, right? right. And then, but it doesn't and stretch it, you. That's right. It doesn't yeah. stretch me and it doesn't, it doesn't serve, you know, the creativity of where you have to take a business in today's very complex world. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, just to put it out there to everybody, I'm probably just going to say I'm very biased towards Ameriprise because my dad worked there for over 30 years, you know, similar to you, Bill. And I saw him have this different um, purpose. Like it was such a driver in the company. And I love that that is still in existence today. I hear that in in your answer there. Like you can feel it's such a purpose-driven place. And you're obviously probably a purpose-driven leader that you need that you know, to be um, there to really feel like you're going to stay there. Um, that's what's kind of grounded you there, it sounds like, and in some capacity is the purpose that you have as a leader, the purpose your team brings, the purpose your colleagues bring, the purpose, purpose the work brings. Well, there's certainly a lot of books written about purpose-driven leadership. Simon Sinek says, you know, leaders should always start with why. Mm-hmm. And I, I sort of subscribe to that that belief system is why I could work anywhere. I can put my energy anywhere. All my employees could put their energy anywhere. So why this effort? And why should I put my time into this teamwork and this strategy and come in every day and, and use what is a finite resource. We only have so much time on earth mm-hmm. and we have um, a amount of time we're willing to devote to work. Yeah. And so why this mission? And your dad, uh, he wasn't just an employee of the company. He ran the company for many years when I was a budding executive for the firm and he was the CEO of the business. And so he helped to steer and give purpose to us. And I hope 
that from his lessons, I'm able to pass on a purpose to my people and to all the advisors and to all the clients that we serve. Mm, I love hearing about that ripple effect. I mean, obviously that kind of touches my heart just to know that that has had an impact that is still being felt today. So thank you for sharing that um, because my dad was a very purpose-driven person. Um, and to feel that still, you know, in the next level of leadership that now is the leader of the company um, is, is really meaningful and impactful. So thank you for saying that and sharing that. Of course. In going back to that why, and I love Simon Sinek, by the way, he's like one of my, my mentors. Yes. <laughs> I hope to meet him someday, but we'll see. Um, that concept of why, so I have a why question for you. We are just coming through this pandemic, right? Of, uh, that's encompassed all of our lives in some way, shape or form over the last couple of years. And being someone who's very focused on health and wellness and well-being, I'm always trying to stay in tune to where are the greatest needs. And I think there's this maybe perception that it could be we need improved physical health, right? We saw what a new virus could do, and, and it's all about physical health. Well, then it was we saw what being disconnected can do, and it's all about mental health. But what people are really saying they're, they have the greatest need for and where their greatest concern is is financial health. Mm. That's been reported over and over and over in employees across multiple companies. So in a time where we could be consumed with other dimensions of health, I think we really need to focus on financial health. What does that look like? And why is that being um, expressed so strongly, do you think, right now in today's world? Well, first of all, I, I happen to agree with the whatever study you're sort of referencing there and, and the trend that many, many people are concerned about money. Mm -hmm. Now, I also believe that we're holistic beings, right? So if there's a part of our life that's out, out of whack or stressful for us, it finds its way into other areas. Mm -hmm. So if my home life isn't great, it will impact how I perform at work. Yeah. If my work life is stressful and I'm not really well balanced or I feel like I'm not respected there, it will find its way home. Mm -hmm. And if my physical well-being is not great, I won't have the energy to put into my home or work. Mm -hmm. If my spirituality or my values are being compromised in some way, then I'm not going to have... The other. You get my point. Yeah. Finance is the same way. So if in the back of my head, I might be going to work every day and trying to focus on being productive at work. But if I'm really worried about paying the bills or saving enough money for retirement, or what do I do with the money that I've accumulated... Yeah. One of the things I've learned in 34 years of being connected to financial planning is regardless of what level you're at, because I think there's this myth that once you accumulate enough money, you stop worrying about money. Mm -hmm. I have not experienced that in working with clients. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, when you don't have much money, you worry about getting more. Yeah. When you have a little bit of money, you start to ask yourself, am I doing what's right with it? Is it protected? When you have a lot of money, then you figure out, are, am I making a difference with it in the right way? Sure. And you worry about that. Worry is, I think, the predominant sort of emotion that people feel when it comes to their finances. Mm -hmm. And so then you ask yourself, well, what can you do to reduce worry? Right. And I would ask you in other areas of your life, when you're worried about your health, mm -hmm. when something doesn't feel right in your body and you know it, or you're, you're feeling emotionally taxed and you know that you aren't solving it on your own, right. what do you do? And I think there's several steps. One is write down what you believe you're worried about. Mm -hmm. Then you seek to share it with somebody else. Mm -hmm. And then you ask for help. Mm -hmm. And when you do those three things, suddenly stress begins 
to alleviate. It's when we hold it in mm -hmm. and we think we're going to suffer alone, mm -hmm. either physically, emotionally, or with our finances, that's when things get bad. Yeah. And so um, one of the things that our company does is it provides an outlet for somebody to come in and share what they're concerned about, share what their goals are, share what they think about money and what their worries are. We then create a plan, a long-term lifetime plan of what you want to achieve. Mm -hmm. And then we help you make better decisions with your money. The other thing we help you do is stop beating yourself up over past decisions. Mm, that's so helpful and good and important. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so I like to say that as humans, we should have all over ourselves. Right. Yes. <laughs> so I yes. should have bought that stock. Uh -huh. I should have sold that stock. I should have saved more money. Right. It's, it's and it useless. can get you nowhere. It can get you nowhere. Yeah. So yeah. We, we've got to sort of figure out what, what, where do we go from here? Yeah. Let's take an accounting of where we stand. How much have you saved? What's your debt situation? Yeah. Where, where's the money today? And what's the best decision we can make at this moment, given the facts yeah. for the future? Once we have a plan and once we have somebody to guide us, suddenly we've we've transferred our stress into the plan and into somebody else. And we can move forward with the more productive, fun things in our life, like family, friends, work, things along that line. Free ourselves from that worry. That's right. Right. And that's right. The indirect and direct impacts of financial worry and stress probably manifest themselves in every other paradigm of health. Is that correct? Like, do you see people come in and their financial worries and stress are so deep that it might be impacting like their physical health, their relationships, their emotional well-being? You are hitting on that perfectly. You, in fact, all the studies would suggest that yeah. one of the number one reasons for divorces is financial stress. Yeah. Um, if you look at why people say, I don't work out or I don't exercise or I don't seem to eat right, it's because I'm worried and I can't make the time to do that because my, my brain tells me I can't make the time because I've got to go solve some problem I haven't identified. And it does link back to money many, many times. Yeah. Yeah, I can yeah. see that. I mean, even just when yeah. you're talking to you, I'm like, okay, the dots are connecting for me even. And financial worry is so, anytime you've had that place of financial stress, there's honestly like, it's one of the worst it's, things. Oh, it's it's deep and it's dark. Right. And so your planners, I would imagine, have to become almost like coaches slash counselors slash advocates slash all of it. Yeah. Um, and so how do you ensure that they maintain their own sense of health when they are working with people who are bringing up such a vulnerable spot? And in theory, they're having to really take a lot of that weight off, which you can kind of say is exactly what personal trainers are doing. It's what nurses are doing. It's what doctors are doing. It's what mental health counselors are doing. Like you're trying to take worry off someone. Yeah. Your planners are really doing the same thing. How do you ensure that in the midst of absorbing people's other yeah. things yeah. that they stay healthy and well themselves? That's, that's uh, hard to do, right? Yeah. Um, one of the things that um, your dad actually used to say is that we have advisors who have the mind of capitalists but yet the heart of social workers. Oh, I love that. Right? And that I remember so him saying that, right? Yeah, and yeah. so it's, you're right. It's almost like this combination of knowing the stock market and how to invest and compounding of interest and all of those things that you need to know to be a good, quote, financial advisor from a technical aspect. Yeah. 
But so much more of your work is on the social worker, understand somebody else, what drives them to think about their money in a particular way? How do they spend their money? Why do they spend their money that way? What are they saving for and goals? Why are those goals important? But you're also absorbing a lot of uh, people's sort of fears, emotions, and concerns about their money. Mm -hmm. And if you do that eight to 10 times every day, it can't help but take a bit of a toll on you. Plus, what you're also managing are so many things outside of your control. You don't control interest rates. Mm-hmm. Where we saw during the pandemic, if you own CDs or were on fixed income, the, the interest rates got very low. Mm-hmm. You don't control the stock market, which is moving around all the time. Mm-hmm. There, you don't control other people's spending habits. So right. you can coach a client to do certain things in the plan but they may not follow. Mm-hmm. So there's so many things outside of an advisor's control yeah. that what I try to teach them to do is figure out what is in their control. Mm-hmm. And so we use this tool that I like to call the four blocker. Okay. So how do you make sure that you think about what's most important to you and your friends and family group? And what would it look like to be a great friend or a great spouse or a great father, mm-hmm. et cetera, or, or mother? And let's outline what that looks like and be thoughtful of it throughout the year. Right. The next thing is um, your work. What does being meaningful at work look like? And and most of my financial advisors are leaders of a small team. Sure. And so what's being a good leader look like? Yeah. Um, And then how do you show up for your clients Mm -hmm. and what does that look like? And so let's define that. And then you've got sort of the physical, how do you take care of yourself? Mm -hmm. Um, Are you eating right? Are you getting the right amount of sleep? Are you working out? Are you stretching? Are you doing things that sort of keep your body healthy? Mm -hmm. And then how do you recharge Mm -hmm. and connect back to your spirituality? If that recharges you or your values. And if you do those four things, generally what you're trying to do is manage your energy. You can't, show up day in and day out for client after client after client, unless you've got good energy. Mm-hmm. And so to me, it's all about energy management mm-hmm. and you get energy from your relationships mm-hmm. and from meaningful work and from taking care of your body and taking care of your mind. And so you have to be purpose driven on those elements. And so that's one of the things we're trying to train the advisors to, to take care of themselves. Sort of like you're on the airplane mm-hmm. and they always say, If something happens, put your own mask on first before you help other people. The advisors have to do the same thing. Yeah, that is a beautiful and profound answer and not one I completely expected. I mean, here I've I've had a glimpse into the financial world and I am still like, I mean, I could show you my like real emotions. I'd be like, go Bill. Like, that's awesome (laughs) that you have incorporated into a system that might be um, otherwise a little bit more traditional, the importance of the person's health and the importance of preserving their energy that it takes to do what they do um, to maintain a well sense of well-being for themselves first and foremost. So that's incredible leadership um, on your part and all the leaders at Ameriprise for valuing that, um, which is, I'm sure, in great part, what leads to the success of your planners, right, is that they understand that they're being cared for and this is being encouraged in them um, so they can then, in turn, care for others. Well, part of it is beginning with the end in mind, right? I mean, 
if, if we have employees, we want them to stay with us for a long time. Mm -hmm. We want them to come to work and be really productive. Mm -hmm. We'd like them to bring a positive energy into the work, workplace. And we want them to collaborate with other people to solve problems. Mm -hmm. We want them to have an abundant mentality when it when it comes to sort of what our future can be together. I don't care what business it is. It could be healthcare. It, it could be, you know, selling cars. It could be whatever it is. I want my people to be here a long time and bring those attributes to work. Mm -hmm. you ca they can't show up to work and bring those attributes unless they're personally feeling good in the in the important areas of their life. Right, right. Their right. tank has to be full. Their tank has to be full when they show up in the morning. And so often I'm convinced that people didn't sleep well the night before. They didn't choose a good uh, you know, breakfast choice. They didn't work out. Yeah. They don't, they didn't refresh their relationship with their spouse before they, they walked out the door. Right. And then they've got financial concerns because they really don't have a plan in place and everything written down. So then they come, come to work and I'm not getting their best. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I, that's one of the things I'm trying to instill is what are the habits of people who have a lot of energy and a lot of positivity? Mm -hmm. There are actually things you can do and build into your life that, that foster those things. Mm -hmm. So it's not, it's, you know, it, it's the whole paradigm of impact, right? So like it is the performance side of things. So if people yes. are looking, how do I improve performance in my company and productivity? It's all linked. And I think if I've learned anything and I continue to learn this is that silos that we used to think were so different and so unlike are really so rooted in all of the same needs, wants, drives, desires. Yes. Yes. So healthcare is really absolutely no different than what you're just explaining and what your financial planners need. It's exactly what our doctors and nurses need. It's what our teachers need. It's what our social workers need. It's what our counselors need. It's what our companies need. And it's all so much more alike than unalike. Yeah. Um, so how does that play out for you? Like, I think it helps. I think permission is a really important word, especially from, from coming from leaders, like giving people permission to do those things that fill their cup. And I know enough about you to say, my guess is that you have some really great health habits that you have instilled as part of your daily practice or weekly practice that help keep you your best. Are you willing to share any of those that you incorporate to make sure that Bill's cup is full? Yeah, I think the word you use that I love is, is habits. Because I, I, a lot of people would say, well, Bill, you always strike me as a very motivated person. And I would say that I am motivated probably 30 to 40 percent of the time, yeah. but the majority of the time I'm I'm pretty just disciplined. Yeah. So I'm I try to be thoughtful. My mom died in her 50s of, of cancer that she got in her 40s. Mm. Um, my dad died in his early 70s and was in very poor health from his late 50s till that time. Mm. And Sorry, uh, hard yeah, hard, yeah, hard lessons, hard right? Lessons, and yeah. I, I intend to live to 100 and so or more. Yeah. And I want to do it really healthy. And so I've done a lot of uh, reading and got coaching and support from people in disciplines that I'm not educated in the, sure. the health world, the, the nutrition world, the, the working out world. Uh, and, and I've tried to figure out what are the habits I need in my life to sustain a long life, yeah. to sustain good energy, to stay, sustain positivity. And so, um, I do have a routine where every morning I I do some form of working out. Yeah. Um, there are times I'm more intense because I, I've run nine marathons and I will train, 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 train. But mm -hmm. then I take a couple of years off and I take a lot more yoga classes and things like that. But yeah. every morning from roughly about six until seven is my time to 
work out. Yeah. I try to be really thoughtful about what I eat and and what I don't eat. Yeah. Um, and then I do intermittent fasting in between so my body resets itself. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to go to bed at exactly the same time and I roughly wake up about the same time. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean that stressors won't wake me up in the middle of the night and I have trouble getting back to sleep. But 10 o'clock, I'm in bed and I'm trying to fall asleep and I'm up by 5.30 and yeah. am very religious about those kind of things. Yeah. In some ways, that makes Bill a very boring guy, right? Is that yeah, I do the same kind of routines yeah. over and over. Then you start to ask yourself in today's society, how, if, if it's that simple to explain, how come more people don't do those things? Mm-hmm. Well, stress can stop people from feeling motivated to do any of those mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. And so I think most people are really stressed. Mm-hmm. I think we're distracted. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're all got our phones. We take out our phones and we're distracted. And it's a lot easier to sit on the couch and watch a Netflix yeah. than it is to do something else. Yeah. It is painful to sometimes work out. And to, yeah. and it's also an abundance of food all around us that's highly cheap and really bad for mm-hmm. us. And it's just right there for the picking, whereas our ancestors had to really fight for their food. Yeah. And so you've got all of these temptations where it's very easy not to do the things that I'm describing. Yeah, yeah. And so... When I talk about I, I'm fairly disciplined, but I don't think I'm overly motivated. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of times I wake up in the morning and I say, I don't want to go to the gym. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've been there. Right. Yep. I get and then, it. But yeah. I feel so darn good. And if yeah. I can't focus on how I'm going to feel after seven o'clock, yeah. then at six o'clock, I'll never go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm, I try to think about the future outcome of doing the thing that feels really painful to me. Right, right. And that's what gets me through. Okay. And then pretty soon, if you do enough of it, it feels weird not to go. Right. And then it be- then it's a habit. Then it becomes the habit. Then it's the habit. Which is one of my favorite books uh, is Atomic Habits. Mm-hmm. Last name this guy is Clear. I think okay. James Clear. Uh, so anyway. Yeah. And so I... And, your life is a collection of whatever habits you have. Mm-hmm. When you wake up in the morning, when mm-hmm. you go to bed, what you watch, what you say, what yep. you eat, it's just a collection of habits. Yep. How do you switch those habits to the ones you actually want that are going to fulfill the dreams and goals you have for the rest of your life? Right, right. I hear you being very intentional in protecting yourself because you've had some hard lessons yeah. around what happens yes. if, if you don't, right? So I think you've built a really intentional life. And I know, Bill, from your world, like you could work probably 24 7. Oh, no doubt. Like, no doubt. No doubt. 365 days a year. Uh huh. But you've also honored the fact that you are a human, you are a spouse, you are a father, you are a grandfather, and you have other people you want to give energy to. And if you self sacrifice for the 24 7, 365 days a year, at the end of your life, you're not going to have given to the people that you really want to give. Yeah. Um, so you live with a lot of intentionality. One of the biggest motivators for me is yeah. when people say you can't. And yeah. I can remember early in my career, I had a lot of workaholics around me. Mm-hmm. And I was I was sort of really into that mode. 78 yeah. hours a week is not uh, abnormal. And even today, I work a fair amount of hours. Yeah. Remember somebody saying, well, you know, Bill, when you take that executive job and you travel as much as you do, you probably can't coach your kids teams. And I said, that's bullshit. I'm going to figure out how to coach my kids teams. It just means after they go to bed, I might check the emails and and follow up. I might have to get up a little earlier. They said, um, it's going to be really hard to train for triathlons and marathons when you're on the road as much as you are. And how are you possibly going to get the miles in? I'll figure it out. If you if you have a mindset that says where there's a will, there's a way and you're going to figure it out, then you'll figure it out. Yeah. And I uh, even now, one of the things I'm trying to encourage is in financial services, if you look around, um, there's a lot of people that look like me, mm-hmm. male, 
and white. Mm -hmm. Yet the population of the United States is not male and white. Mm -hmm. And if you look at where the money is and, and where the opportunity is to advise people with money, mm -hmm. it's in uh, communities of color. It's yeah. in, you know, the, uh, the money is trending more female. Yeah. I've got to figure out how I get more women financial advisors in because they're fantastic mm -hmm. and more women in the leadership. And, and we've done a lot of that. But part of it is getting them to break some of their their stereotypes of, mm -hmm. oh, I, I see that mm -hmm. I, I, first of all, I don't fit in the room. Mm -hmm. um, and so what's the seat at the table? But secondly, well, I guess I couldn't be a good mom mm -hmm. or I couldn't mm -hmm. be somebody who contributes to my community or I couldn't yeah. do X, Y, and Z if yeah. I took that job because you have to work so hard because yeah. that's what I see everybody else doing. And I, 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 I call BS on that each time. And I yeah. go, if, if you're willing to say no to certain things and yeah. you're clear on what your values are and where your day stops and ends, yeah. you can get a lot done in the time you're willing to devote to work. Mm -hmm. And nobody's going to criticize you if you say, I'm going to be at my son's ball game or I'm going to be there for my kids when they get home. Right. You, it may not be all the time, but yeah. you can figure out how to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're at a company that doesn't support that, you're at the wrong company. Yeah. We'll return to Rebel and Be Well in just a moment. But first, a few words about our sponsors. I want to say a special thank you to everyone at Self Esteem Brands. We are grateful for the recording space and support you have provided to our podcast platform and team. You can find more information about self-esteem brands in the show notes. We appreciate and savor every sip of Dry Farm Wines during our podcast conversations and every event at the Point Retreats. To find out more about Dry Farm Wines, find their link in our show notes. Thank you, Paddle North, for being our preferred Minnesota-based brand and company. We honor every memorable paddle. To find out more information about Paddle North, Find their link in our show notes. The Point Retreats and Rentals is situated roughly 30 minutes outside Brainerd, Minnesota. The property's private peninsula boasts over 1,500 feet of stunning shoreline spanning three lakes on the pristine whitefish chain of lakes. Whether you need time to renew, reset, or reconnect, we have a space that can host your family, group, or team. Click on the show notes to find out more about the Point Retreats and the Point Rentals. I think that is the most permission I've heard from an executive to set boundaries around yourself um, that I've heard in the history of being amongst incredible leaders, right? And that I know took some fighting through and probably a few you can't, right? To be like, yes. no, but I can. Yes. And so you've just given a lot of people permission to say, I can do that. Like you can have a really successful career and I can be a really healthy, well-rounded individual. And playing upon what you just shared, you know, I, I will, I will tell you about it. One of the last conversations I had with my dad and he could see that I had some leadership drive. Yeah. Um, and I was in the healthcare corporate healthcare space at the time, but he also could see that I so didn't want to miss anything of my kid's life. And I was trying to reconcile the two spaces and maybe not doing it great, probably leaning towards, um, what I had observed for a lot of early years of my dad's life, which was right. the workaholic side. Right. Your vision of what an executive was, was, yes. was him was like, working nonstop. Absolutely. And yeah. I'm like, well, if I don't do that, then I can't get here. And he said, you know, Krista, he said, just be really mindful. Cause if I've learned anything, leadership takes sacrifices and I maybe haven't always shown you the right ones to make. He's like, and I'm going to show you now, but just keep that in wow. balance and wow. check. And I was like, I didn't even understand a hundred percent what he was saying at the time. I had an inkling 
But as we had more time to spend together in his last few years of life, I really understood what he was trying to tell me. And it was kind of that don't do as I did because it didn't, at least in his early years, because it came with a price tag. And he's like, you know, and I realized in my second half of my career, yeah, I could do it differently. Yes. And I don't know how many years you spent in both camps of, you know, wrestling and rectifying that, but it seems like you learned that pretty early on. Well, I, you know, because I started work right out of college and even in college. Yeah. So probably age 21 through 40. Yeah. Um, I was just nonstop, very intense bill. And then, you know, at age 40 and as my kids started to, you know, get to the age where they needed me more Mm -hmm. and, um, I'd gone through a divorce. And so you start to go, well, how do I want things to be different? And so you make different choices and, um, pain is a good teacher. Yeah, pain is a very good teacher. You know? uh-huh. An so, unfortunate one, but yeah, a, a, a exactly. necessary one. Yeah. yeah. And one of the things I try to tell myself now is I need to be the example that I that others would want to follow mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. the longevity. I want people not to burn out in a couple of years or say, I can only do this for a few years because yeah. I want them to be in their roles a long time. I want yeah. them to be loyal to the company because the company was loyal to them and I was loyal to them. And every company is just a collection of people. Yeah. So when you say the company was either loyal to me or not, you're, what you're really saying is the people at that company made choices to support me and my goals. Mm-hmm. I want to be a leader that supports people in their goals. Mm-hmm. I still have goals to achieve, and I think there's room for both if we mm-hmm. communicate and we talk about it and we plan and we're disciplined. Mm-hmm. I, I could not agree more. And I want to ask you this. You know, I come from a culture of healthcare where I think it's probably a lot. I mean, you're in a Fortune 500 company. The the responsibilities are, are enormous. Um, healthcare could argue the same thing, right? You're, oh. You have life and death every life and day, death. all the time. I'm dealing with people's life savings. And right. that's exactly yeah. what it is. I mean, they're they're so more, much more alike than different. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's hard to put dollars. Um, in a company that deals with life and death, because it always feels a little conflicted, right? Yeah. yeah. And it's it's hard to for people to even come out and say, I'm going to attach a dollar <laughs> with quality of life or quality of death. I mean, it's kind of like this unspoken elephant in the room. We all know that's what we're talking about when we're talking money and healthcare. But I see that kind of translating to just money conversations in yeah. general. It's kind of like this elephant in the room that nobody really wants to talk about, and everybody kind of wants to pretend like, I got it. And let's just not talk about this. And I've done that. How do you encourage people to really like talk about these tough issues that they want to say, I can't, you know, you're kind of driven by I can't when people are like, I I can't, I can't go there. Like, I can't, I can't do this. I mean, healthcare does this all the time where they're like, I can't put money here or here or here for various reasons. If someone walks in your office and says, you know, I, I, you can tell they want to do this, but they just don't feel like they can because they're a little embarrassed, stressed, shamed, um, worried, like, how do you help them navigate that to be a place where it's like, no, you can, like, you can talk about this and we can change your health here and we can change your trajectory here. And everybody's comfort level at talking about death in, or treatment or diagnosis for financial matters and that are all over the place. Some people are open books and very in tune with how they're feeling about things and others, you know, are, I've been taught that we don't talk about this with strangers. And so I I think it starts um, trying to meet the person where they are Mm -hmm. and be, and having a really curious mind. Mm -hmm. And so 
tell me why you can't or tell me what's held you back in the past. And you, you keep going deeper with the questions until you get to sort of the underlying set of emotions. The greatest gift that somebody can give another human being is the sense that they are understood at a deeper level. Mm-hmm. I think that's true in leadership. I think it's true when you're a doctor or, or a nurse. And I think it's true when you are managing somebody's life savings is, do I really understand you? Do I understand your motives around money and mm-hmm. what drives you to want to save more money and what your biggest fears are around money? Mm-hmm. I guarantee they're rooted in a lot of how you grew up and what you experienced. Mm-hmm. My, my health decisions are driven on watching my mother, who is a very healthy person and very conscious and worked out a lot right. and got cancer in her 40s and died 10 years later, knowing that I, I didn't sort of... Some people would look at that and go, well, no matter what I do, I'm, I could die young, so why not enjoy all the food and drink I could possibly do and, and, and so forth? Right. It, it actually spurred something different in me that right. said, uh, why don't I feel he- as healthy and as motivated and as energetic as I can? Because I yeah. don't know how many years I've got. Yeah. There's two different ways to look at it. And yeah. I don't know if somebody helped me think that way, mm-hmm. but likely mm-hmm. some mentor in my life got me to think a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. Because I've got siblings who looked at it exactly the opposite. Mm, is that so interesting? You know? That's so amazing how you can have the same gene pool and yes. people just take that experience and, and go down different in paths. two different directions. Yeah. And I think one of our job is sort of professionals, right, who are geared towards helping people, whether it's finance or, or health, is to get to your underlying root yeah. thinking. Yeah. We get this model I try to teach my leaders called think, feel, do. Yeah. What we think about and ruminate on controls how we feel. Mm-hmm. How we feel controls what we're willing to do with our time. Mm-hmm. And so how do you manifest a sense of confidence mm-hmm. and positivity towards the future mm-hmm. so that you can go do more of the things that will help you get mm-hmm. what you want in your life? Mm-hmm. And it starts with the thoughts running through your head yeah. and it's the self-talk that's going on in there. Yeah. If I can't draw out what's running through your head about your money, Right. or about your life, right. or about what's important to you, I can't possibly influence the rest. Very true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you have to start there. Right? Yeah. And so if I can get to know you at a more human level, which really is your emotional state, when you think about various things having to do with money or health or whatever it is, or in leadership, what you're thinking about your job, mm-hmm. or coming into work every day, or, you know, can I really explore that? If I can get to that, then I can help change the rest. Mm-hmm. You know, you figured out something that we really need to adopt in healthcare, and I'm going to make a little bit of a generalization with a disclaimer that certainly there's people that do this better than others. But we rarely walk into a patient's room and say, well, what are your goals and what do you want out of this? And how can I help you make that think, see, do connection? Yes. Instead, we kind of walk in, we're like, I have all the answers and here's what we're going to do today and here's how it's going to go and here's the protocol, the algorithm that we're following. Boom, we're off and running. Right. It's very scientific. It's very scientific, which... Yeah. It needs to be in some capacity, right. but we sometimes forget that that human connectedness is what really helps people connect to the value of what's being done. And you come in with that, it sounds like. Like, that's your approach to it, right? Like, I'm going to connect with the person first to make that vulnerable moment maybe feel just a little less vulnerable. Yes. Yeah, which is imperative in all kinds of coaching, um, whether it's financial or it's health-related or it's, you know, social, emotional, relational. But to really understand what's going to drive that person versus your agenda. Yes. Which I think we could learn a lot from in healthcare. And then, so you then ask yourself, it, it, you know, we talk about, so in, in the leadership business world, mm-hmm. we talk about the balance between management and leadership. Mm-hmm. 
management is helping people get things done on time with a schedule, with a focus, with a project plan, etc. And leadership is about meeting the human where they are, bringing out their potential, setting vision, being inspirational, lifting people up mm -hmm. for a common cause. So then you say, well, in your life, how many people do you think are really great leaders mm -hmm. that are inspirational, have been inspirational to you and that you want to follow? I can tell you, I've been running a lot of people. I can count on one hand how many people mm -hmm. fit that definition. Mm -hmm. I found a lot of managers in the world. Yes. So why do most people gravitate to management? Yeah. And which is basically command and control. We're yeah. going to plan out what I want you to do when I want you to do it. And we're going to put it down on paper and I expect you to get it done. That's still necessary in the equation, mm -hmm. right? We okay. have to then all, all great vision has to generate down into work. Right. But then why, do, why are there not more inspirational people in the workplace mm -hmm. that are showing up every day to try to empower those around them and get them excited? Mm -hmm. I think it's because they're stressed out. Yeah. We're still dealing with a set of humans leading a set of humans. Right. And so if I look at my goals and I say, oh, at the end of the quarter, you've got, I've got to sell this many widgets. Mm -hmm. And therefore, I need you to sell this many widgets. And you you got to sell this many. Then I might come in with a particular mindset. Right. And so how, how then do we show up saying, I need to slow down. And I need to find out how are you feeling today? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I can tell by the look in, in your on your face that you may not have had the best morning. Let me check in with you. Right. Just by me asking that question and double checking, yeah. your productivity will go up throughout the day. Yeah. Even before I ask about how many widgets you're going to sell. Yeah. I even feel it. I mean, the energy right. exchange when you just said those words and I know you're, you're asking me, but you're not asking me. I'm like, oh, that's so nice. Like I wanted to, I no, want to open up and say that. who does yeah. that? Nobody. And, right. Yeah, and very so few. what if the leaders yeah. in a company were doing that more often? Right, right. And it doesn't, we think it takes more time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It actually takes more time to try to fix the problems created by right. too much management. Right. It's kind of that when we lean so hard into the science and data that we get lost. Yes. It's really important. Yes. Yeah. And you just brought it back to that, like, hey, this is what's really important. And this is how you can lead into all of the other things. Now, I don't want anybody watching this or listening to this say, every day I show up with this abundant-minded, positive attitude, and I'm the greatest boss ever. That's not what I'm saying. Yeah. I, I have to struggle because the world is geared towards short-term, mm -hmm. obvious outcomes mm -hmm. where we're immediately gratified by looking at our phone or by doing something. Mm -hmm. It's like... I, I, I'm like everybody else mm -hmm. and I have to reset my mind on my drive in every morning to who, who do I want to be today? Yeah. Be really intentional about how you show intentional. up, how you show up for yourself yes. and how you're then showing yes. up for others. Yeah. Purposeful and intentional. Yes. Which is where it has to start, right? Where right. everything around well-being, um, whether you're talking professional well-being or personal well-being, it has to, has to start there. So if you were in front of, uh, say, a young, budding leader um, in the financial industry, what advice would you give him or her around how to, how to be intentional, both personally and professionally? I would, I would say, first of all, there is no silver bullet. Mm -hmm. And so um, you've got to realize that careers aren't built on a single year mm -hmm. um, or a single project or, you know, so recognize that what you're going to build is a collection of experiences over time. Yeah. And your reputation and your brand is going to be a collection of the experiences you create with other people. Mm -hmm. And so you, you get to decide and the sooner you decide this to map out 
what people should say about you as a human being in the workplace mm -hmm. um, and how you want to play on the team and what you want to contribute. Mm -hmm. um, you get to decide that. Yeah. And the clearer you are on paper and in description and in your brain on the vision of the person you want to be, mm -hmm. the more powerful leader you're going to be because most people mm -hmm. will gravitate to that because you're the one who's got it together and you, you're embodying that. Mm -hmm. The other thing that, that I would say is Try to decide um, what your most important goals are for a period of time mm -hmm. and use that four blocker I was describing mm -hmm. earlier. Mm -hmm. Plan out what does it mean to be, you know, a great friend, a great spouse, a great son, daughter, whatever it is. Right. What does it mean to be productive at work and what would be meaningful if I look back in time? Right. And then are you bringing your best energy to work? Yeah. Work ends up consuming for 40 years of our life, a yeah. lot of our time. Yeah. And so do you believe in the company you work for? Do you believe in the mission? Are you able to connect your work to the mission? Or do you feel like you're just a cog in the machine? Sure. If you feel like you're a cog in the machine, you got to ask yourself, can I change that? If I can't change that, then am I at the right company? Right, right. So find a company you believe in, a mission you believe in. Yeah. Surround yourself with people that you can learn from yeah. and where you feel like they respect and, and believe in you. If those e parts of the equation are there yeah. and you're bringing your best self to work, yeah. good things are going to happen for yeah. you. But you've got to have the hard conversations. It, if you make this just about a paycheck, mm -hmm. you will lose in the end. Mm -hmm. And the hard conversations are with yourself. Yes. We always assume yes. there was someone else, but right. really it starts with yourself. It's so insightful. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. it. Now you can you can bounce it off other people and sound and, and use them as a sounding board out loud. Mm -hmm. Like, let me just explain what I'm trying to do with my career and the company I work for and the mission I'm trying to do and so forth, and have other people be a sounding board that you trust. Mm -hmm. But you've you've gotta be your best counsel. Yeah, yeah. And who's can I ask you, so you've, you've done a lot of that work yourself. I can hear that. I can see that. I can feel that in the energy that you give off. You mentioned five people. I mean, kind of just giving a round number, but being your kind of mentors, right, in life. Can you share who that might be or what they taught you that has just carried and resonated to being the person that you're, you know, you are here with me today? So at work, there was this gentleman for many years, you know, a man named Doug Lenick. Huh. Mm -hmm. Doug taught me that there there can be this balance between driving a successful business and being a really good human being. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'd always sort of thought about being in business meant you had to be ruthless all the time yeah. and you had to be just disciplined all the time and you couldn't show emotion and you couldn't find balance. And it was just work, 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 yeah. work. And he he taught me that you can work hard and then you can be really thoughtful about your life yeah. and so forth. I've learned um, from my stepdad who ran a, uh, I grew up uh, on a small hobby farm yeah. in the middle of Vermont, in the middle of nowhere as the oldest of six kids. And my dad fed the family running a small printing company. Yeah. He was very disciplined. He would be up early uh, before the sun. He'd be in the shop. He'd be doing his printing. And he was a great customer service guy. And he cared deeply about his, his customers and doing a good job and the quality of his work. And he put in the extra effort. But he also had this infectious sort of positive attitude mm -hmm. where no matter what he was doing, he'd find a way to make it fun, mm -hmm. even the most mundane task. Um, my mother, through all of her cancer, was always very positive yeah. and very um, inspirational. Yeah. And so I, I watched somebody go through hell yeah. and and 
and choose their attitude. Yeah. And so I learned from that. Yeah. So I think that we, I, I don't necessarily have this person I put on this pedestal and go, I, they taught me everything I know. Sure. I've tried to be a student of picking up a little bit mm -hmm. from a lot of people mm -hmm. I've interacted with. Mm -hmm. There's this guy named Larry Post who first hired me out of college. He was, he was in the military and he flew airplanes and he was very disciplined with his checklist mm -hmm. and his focus and what he had to get done and his numbers. And I learned a lot from that. Mm -hmm. And my current boss is just an incredible strategic leader and his ability to um, synthesize so much data into a strategy and then galvanize people around it. Just amazing. I, yeah. I, each person I come in contact with, I'm trying to figure out, okay, what do they do uniquely well right. that I can learn from? Right, right. And so I wish I could answer your question with, here's the one or two yeah. people, but I feel like I try to be a student of what can I learn from each person I'm with. Which is a really beautiful outlook. And I think it's a space where you probably are a teacher to thousands, right, in, in what you do. And yet, I love that you're still a student at heart. So you still are looking at all of these life experiences unfolding around you and trying to gain continuous insight and wisdom. And I understand and can resonate with the journey, you know, with your mom. And I know that's very, a very heartfelt and hard one and um, teaches you a lot of great lessons. Yeah. Um, and then I look at someone like Doug, who I happen to know also, and he's that like just heart-centered leader who has so much emotional intelligence and has written books on emotional intelligence yes, yes. that teaches you, you know, how to make sure you don't ever lose that human side of you, no matter where you're walking through life, which I see and I feel in everything that you're saying and sharing here, which is a, another beautiful lesson, right, to learn that you've taken. So if you put one mantra on your desk or quote, what would it be? What's like, this is, this I represents me. I have one and I don't know if it's, you know, going to be great for right here, but, um, you know, just to put perspective on this before I tell you what the mantra yeah. is, right, is I, I have the privilege of leading 8,500 independent, um, franchise owners yeah. who are financial advisors. I, I manage everything from the compensation plan to the compliance to, you know, how we hire and train them to yeah. all of the product development in, in the field yeah. and uptake and so forth. So I'm the president of that, that business. So you'd imagine that between the 8,500 advisors and their 10,000 staff, mm -hmm. there are people that think that we can do things differently. Mm-hmm. And I get a lot of emails in on mm -hmm. uh, either compensation or supervision or things along that line. And I get a lot of positive emails, but I get a lot of ones that are constructive. Yeah. So I've got the saying in Latin, and I can't really pronounce it in Latin. So I just say it translates to don't let the bastards get you down. Yeah. yeah. And so I could go in every day and read the negative emails and and let that affect me and go, I don't know why I'm working so hard when they don't appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Or I could... Or I could say, listen, they're just trying to provide perspective. They're going through their own struggles and pain. And this is, mm -hmm. I am a positive vent spot for them. Mm -hmm. And hopefully they got it off their chest and they can move back to helping people. Yeah. I, I'm trying to say, don't let other people affect me. Mm -hmm. Let me affect me. Mm -hmm. my, my daughter um, surprised me. And, you know, as a dad, sometimes these things come out of blue, but she had a, she put a tattoo on the back of her neck. She's got long hair, so it's covered, but she came home from college. She had a mm -hmm. tattoo and I, I thought it was pretty cool. It's in Latin. It basically translates to, I fly with my own wings. Ooh. And so that's it, powerful. I, right. Yeah. The flying, yeah. right. And yeah. then hmm, cheering up a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Um, 
So I, I, you know, I, I put those two together and it's about self-reliance and choice and, and the idea of flight, right. Is, is lift off and freedom Mm -hmm. and set of, you know, outcomes that are really cool Mm -hmm. because you're sort of choosing your own path and you're doing it under your own power, but it doesn't mean you have to do it alone. Right. And probably as her dad, like, that's one of the things you wanted to incorporate in her, right? Is that gift of like being able to go fly someday, you know, out of your care, out of your oh, nest, completely. out of your like, and she did it. She did it. And she did it so strongly that she put it on yeah. her body for forever. Yeah. yeah. Which is a strong testimony to both her and you. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, thanks. I yeah. appreciate so that. I think it's more testament to her. Yeah. Well, that's beautiful. I appreciate you sharing that. What, is that a tattoo you'd put on your body? Because we're supposed to be in the tattoo parlor today. Oh, <laughs> so right. But we're here in the boardroom. So do you have a tattoo you would put on your body? If I did, it would probably be um, something that when I look at it, it gives me a level of, mm-hmm. you know, centeredness or inspiration. And I do think that one of my jobs is to provide direction to people. So there might, you know, maybe... Um, something along that line. Also, um, I had this sculpture done a while ago where it's this cowboy um, who's um, got his rope around a calf that's mm-hmm. stuck in the mud. Mm-hmm. And the calf is clearly straining, the cowboy's straining, mm-hmm. the horse that the cowboy is on is straining. And he's trying to, he's trying to free the calf mm-hmm. and, and lift him up. Mm. And it always struck me as I felt like it's a it's a it's a metaphor for my job, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I'm trying to unstick processes. I'm trying to unstick people. I'm trying to help motivate them. I'm trying to lift them up. Mm-hmm. With and I I have a different respect. I'm sitting in a different spot. The cowboy yeah. sitting on a, on on his own horse. May, yeah. Maybe it has something to do see with, with that. that. Yeah, um, I see that. And so you know, that, that that would probably be something I would incorporate. Incorporate. It's still maybe unfolding, but it might get there. Exactly. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's such a long answer to no, a simple a, question of what yeah. tattoo would you put on your body, but it would have to involve that because yeah. I, I think that's my job. You're an intentional person, so I would imagine any tattoo you're going to get is going to be very intentional. <laughs> it's not something you're going to put on just like, oh, I think I'll get this today. It's going to have a lot of meaning and purpose, Yeah. which I think that's a beautiful answer. And I can see that. Like You've gone through everything you just described in that vision of maybe a potential tattoo in your life playing out. Um, so I can see where that would, you know, be something that's going to continue to evolve for you and may present itself. It might. Yeah. It might. I put the name of my dad's book on my oh, on tattoo. Mm-hmm. Yep. To win play boldly. Oh, I love mm-hmm. it. In his handwriting. That's neat. Yeah. Yeah. So you never know where tattoos can end up. I'm just telling you as a dad and a grandpa. Yeah. It could <laughs> we be. are the whole family has I it now. It. And I don't know if that would make him turn over in his grave or be like, all oh, right. I think, but, I think he'd go all right. But, yeah. Knowing him, he'd go all right. Yeah. Well, Bill, thank you for this incredible conversation and just for connecting with us here at Self-Esteem Brand Headquarters with the Whole Point team today. I know your time is valuable and you shared an incredible amount of yourself, your wisdom, everything that you've learned as both a teacher and a student, um, and it has incredible value. So I just want to say thank you. Thank Thank you, you, my friend. It's so appreciated. I appreciate the invite. Humbled, humbled by the opportunity. Well, and hopefully we'll have more conversations ahead, but just please know how much gratitude I hold for this one. So thank thank you, you, Bill. Yeah, Yeah. I feel the same way. Thanks, Thanks for having me. Thank you. I want to say a special thank you to everyone at Self Esteem Brands, the parent company of Anytime Fitness, Waxing the City, Bar Method, Stronger You Nutrition, and Base Camp Fitness. We are grateful for the recording space and support you have provided to our podcast platform and team. 
you are a true example of what it means to rebel and be well. You can learn more about self-esteem brands via the link shared in the show notes below. We appreciate and savor every sip of Dry Farm Wines during our podcast conversations and every event at The Point Retreats. As a health and wellness platform, we are grateful to have a pure and unique wine that is free of sugar and additives, grown on small family farms, and brings a bright and soulful and vibrant glass of wine to share with the community we love. Cheers to our Dry Farm Wine friends and family. You can learn more and order your own bottles of Dry Farm Wine by clicking the link provided in the show notes below. That simple and serene moment when we glide across the lake at the Point Retreats on our Paddle North paddleboard is one of the most cherished moments. It's a gift when we and our guests blend into nature and lose track of time and space as we soar across the pristine whitefish chain of lakes. Thank you, Paddle North, for being our preferred Minnesota-based brand and company. We honor every memorable paddle that brings great clarity and balance. Click on the link provided in the show notes below to see all the incredible lake gear available with Paddle North. The Point Retreats and Rentals is situated roughly 30 minutes outside Brainerd, Minnesota. The property's private peninsula boasts over 1,500 feet of stunning shoreline, spanning three lakes on the whitefish chain of lakes. The Point property is owned by two purpose-driven leaders who share a strong desire to lead others to optimal health and well-being. Our team believes in proactive, modern-day health, shifting our mindsets to valuing quality of life in the same capacity as we value quantity of life. We aim for every experience at the point to enhance and deepen your whole being health by providing many opportunities for well care during your stay. Whether you need time to renew, reset, or reconnect, we have a space that can host your family, group, or team. Click on the show notes below to find out more about the point retreats and the point rentals.